Yechezkel chapter 26. Chapter 25, we started with Amon. The book starts with Amon. First of four brief prophecies about the four nations. And Amon was faulted because they rejoiced over the downfall of Israel, clapping of hands. It's actually very interesting that the clapping of hands, which is described in chapter 25, we actually encountered that earlier in the book of Yechezkel, back in chapter 6. And there in chapter 6, Yechezkel was instructed to clap his hands. It's chapter 6, verse number 11. Ko'amar Hashem Elohim, ha'kebechapcha u'mekabaraglecha ve'amorach el'kohat to'evos ha'raot be'i Yisrael ashebacherev bara'av u'vadever yipo'u. So the instruction to Yechezkel in chapter uh, 6, verse 11, thus says God, strike your hands together, stamp your feet and cry, aha, that's a cry of joy. So that instruction to Yechezkel, that's God's instruction to express a, a glee or a joy about Israel's destruction that Yechezkel does in chapter 6. And over here, the Ammonites, not being instructed in the previous chapter, are faulted for that. The truth is that in the book of Yechezkel, the clapping of hands carries with it two different understandings. In the two cases I just mentioned, it means a cry of joy, of glee, a triumphant cry. But the clapping of hands came up earlier in Yechezkel in two other places. And there it has a different meaning. There it's not about rejoicing. There it's more about despair or unhappiness with the situation. We have it both in chapter 21 and we also have it in chapter 22. Chapter 22, we have it in verse number 13. So, I will strike my hands over the ill-gotten gains that you have amassed and over the bloodshed that has been committed in your midst. There the clapping of hands has a different meaning in Yechezkel. It means to, it suggests unhappiness, despair. That's a different sense. But in the case of Amon and Yechezkel chapter 6, it has that meaning of joy. You shouted with joy about someone else's downfall, and therefore I take you to task. That's chapter 25. Chapter 26 in Yechezkel, that's a prophecy about Saul. Chapter 26 and the prophecy is dated. It takes place, we are told, So the dates in Yechezko, 11 years, are for the exile of Yehoyachin, which more or less is about the time that Jerusalem is, the temple is destroyed. It's more or less that time. So this prophecy is given honor about the time that the temple is being destroyed. And it begins in chapter 26, verse 2, Ben Adam, so the prophecy of chapter 26 and the prophecy of 27 and the prophecy of chapter 28, three full chapters are about Tsar, Tyre. And that actually is interesting. Perhaps the word amazing is more to the point. We don't expect an extended prophecy about Tsar. 
In the book of Yechezkel, there are two extended prophecies about nations. The second one is not surprising. That's Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim obviously plays a central role in the history of the Jews at that time. Mitzrayim was mentioned earlier by Yechezkel in very graphic terms. The problem started Mitzrayim. So there's a whole history with Mitzrayim in the past, central to our own identity, the Jewish identity. The exodus from Egypt is the thing we are told to remember. So that's not surprising. And Mitzrayim appears at the end of the prophecies of the nations. Not surprising. But Tsar, Tyre, we don't have that much to do with Tyre in the Bible. And to the extent that we do have something to do with Tsar, a lot of it is actually positive. For example, we know that Hiram, the king of Tsar, Hiram, in the book of Kings, is the one that Shlomo engages to get some of the materials to build the temple. Tyre, of course, is, we call it that, that area Phoenicia, and they are experts at chopping down wood, and the wood is chopped down by Hiram, and is sent down the river to uh, Israel, and that wood will be used, that's, those cedars are used in the construction of the temple, in the building project of Shlomo. And in point of fact, when you look at the Book of Kings, there's something quite remarkable about Hiram, the king of Tsar, because in the Book of Kings, Sefer Malachim, Shlomo's decision to build the temple, Shlomo decides that Shlomo is going to build the temple, but the way we find out about it in the book of Malachim, the first thing we hear about it is from a message that Shlomo sends to Hiram, the king of Tsar. It's not that he announces to the people who are going to build God's temple. He sends a message to Hiram saying, my father David, you were friends of his or whatever, and I've decided to build the temple, perhaps you can help me. Hiram says, what a wise king you are. And that's the first time the reader hears that Shlomo has in any sense announced the building of the temple. He announces it to the king of Tsar before he announces it to his own people, as we encounter it in the text. Remarkable. And Hiram is very, very helpful. Later on, there's a bit of a falling out. He sends all kinds of things to Shlomo. They have a lot of trade back and forth. They're traders, and we'll get to that in Yechezkel as well. But... And then Shlomo gives him 20 cities in return, and Hiram goes to see the cities. He doesn't like them. He calls them Eretz Kavul. They're worthless cities. He doesn't like the cities. Okay, but fundamentally, Tsar and Israel at that point have a very powerful relationship. And Tsar, in all reality, seems to be a very minor player in the history of Israel. So we marvel at the fact that Yechezkel spends three long chapters on Tsar, on Tyre, what is that about? So I think there are different ways to approach this problem. One is to study the history and to try to figure out from a historical standpoint to the extent that we can know history well, history of that ancient period well, to speculate why Tsar might have been singled out above all the others, except for Mitzrayim, why it's singled out, looking at it from a historical standpoint. I would suggest a different approach. And I don't think it has so much to do with Tsar, historical reality of Tsar at that time. I think it has more to do with the themes that Yechezkel is trying to put out, the larger themes of Yechezkel. And Tsar, as we will see, fits in very well. The description of Tsar fits in very well with the larger concerns of Yechezkel in the book of Yechezkel. In fact, what's interesting is we'll see that 
Sor on one hand and Mitzrayim on the other, very different, different locations, different histories. One in our own history is central, the other seems quite peripheral. But in the book of Yechezkel, they have much in common. So let's see what it says here about Tzor. Now, what is Tyre? What is Tzor? So Tzor is basically an island off the Mediterranean coast, north of Israel, part of Phoenicia. And there are two main places within Phoenicia that we are familiar with. One is Tzor, and the other is Sidon. In modern language, Tyre and Sidon. And these are the two places. In fact, when Shlomo speaks to the king of Tzor, he says, no one knows how to chop wood the way you Tzidonim do. But you Sidonites do. So there's a, a relationship between those two cities. Maybe they're in competition, maybe not at certain points. In any event, what do we know about Tsar? Tsar is a coastal city, and here it's described as they Tsar dwells in the sea. We'll see this theme over and over again. And because of your approach, behavior towards Israel, your attitude towards Israel, which seems like that what Tsar as described in the beginning of chapter 26, it seems like Tzor is gloating over the fall of Jerusalem. Whether it actually fell was just about to fall, not important. And they say, The gateway of the nations has fallen, it's going to come to me. So it sounds like they see Jerusalem as a competitor in terms of trade. And we know from some chapters in the Bible that Nehemiah, for example, that there was more people bringing wares into Jerusalem. So it could be Jerusalem was a focal point of trade, and Tzor is a main place of trade, as we'll see in the next chapter, probably the main place in that world. So they see Jerusalem as an economic competitor. That's what it sounds like. And the punishment for Tzor says, God, Hineni olayich Tzor, heleti olayich goyim rabim, I'm going to bring upon you many nations as the sea hurls its waves. So right away in the beginning, we have this idea of the sea, of the waters. This will be expanded upon, and we'll see this at some length, uh, that what it seems to be about is that Tsar is a sea power. A sea power in the sense they are the center of world trade. So all the nations of the world are connected to Tsar. In that sense, Tsar may be a small little island, but it's a very powerful island, and what it represents for Yechezkel is, one might say, human sovereignty. Human sovereignty not only over a particular area, but human sovereignty over the world. And Yechezkel sees in that something very problematic, sees in that a challenge to God's sovereignty over the entire world. So we'll see this theme as it plays out in the next chapter and make reference back as well to chapter 26.